Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of CX Cast. This is Sam Stern joined as, oh, wait, Jenny is not here. She's on assignment. She's working hard for our clients, but she'll be back next week. Do not worry. But I am joined on the line by Rick Parrish. Rick, we're well into 2019 here, but you recently published a report about our top findings from 2018 as it pertains to customer experience. And so we wanted to talk to you about some of the key findings from last year. In particular, and I think one that maybe listeners will have already heard, but I think is a really good one for us to lead with and start with is that CX quality is stuck and is unlikely to surge in 2019 is how you put it. And in your report, you have the chart of the trend line, so to speak. It's not much of a trend. Maybe it's a slight downward trend in CX index scores over the last few years. And it is stuck. What do we think is the the rationale, the reason behind this? Yeah, it's just not going anywhere for the past few years. You know, we see some brands go up a little bit. We see some brands go down a little bit. But hardly any brand ever goes in any one direction for more than one year. They're up one year, they're down the next. They're down one, they're up the next. So there's just no movement at all. When you look across the whole, what, nearly 300 brands in the CX index, yeah, the quality of CX is just stagnant. And what's going on here is that companies, and it doesn't matter what industry, it doesn't matter what sector, the companies just haven't nailed customer experience management. And that's what's going on. Until companies can really master that, they're not able to design and deliver great experiences reliably or efficiently. In a nutshell, that's what's going on. We see CX management stagnating and, in fact, getting to crisis level in some ways. And that's why we're not seeing CX management improve. You can't improve CX year over year in a systematic, continual, reliable way until you improve CX management. So when one stagnates, the other stagnates. Uh, That's really interesting. Okay, so would you summarize it as companies, CX teams, CX leaders haven't really professionalized their approach to CX management? Yes, uh, professionalized, uh, systematized, Uh really kind of brought to that enterprise level. You know, sometimes you say things like, you know, you need C-level champions and buy-in across the silos, you know, to to make this happen. and, And people sort of smile and nod like, yeah, yeah, I know, that's old hat. We've been hearing that. Yeah, well, you know what? They're still not doing it. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I sometimes feel a little funny still saying the same thing I was saying a few years ago, but it's still good advice and people still need to hear it because they're just not systematizing and professionalizing the way they design and deliver experiences at that enterprise level. That's what CX management's about. Okay. What would be signs to you or indications to you that the management capabilities were starting to change? Um, What are sort of maybe early signs that they actually are heeding your advice for once rather than just getting sick of hearing it year after year? Sure. And, and I mean, you know, I, I guess I'm a little, maybe a little flippant about it, but I mean, I, I realize that these, you know, that the CX pros are trying to do this in a very difficult situation here because it is a big enterprise level thing. You know, so often we see that companies, you know, may create a CX team, maybe create some CX leaders, CX council, and then everybody else says, well, it's not my problem anymore, so I'm just going to ignore it, right? And, and so that, that's a difficult environment to be in. And so, you know, when I look at our research in the CX management, of which we do a big quantitative study on every year, and some of the things that that I look for in there is not just whether or not companies are performing this or that CX management activity. You're familiar with the research, you may recall there are, there are 12 activities. I don't necessarily look to whether or not they're performing an activity, but if they're performing it with discipline, especially with the facet of discipline that we call rigor. Uh, rigor is whether or not you're performing an activity in a way that's proven to be effective, right? And whether you're documenting that so it's reproducible. It's where plenty of companies may perform some CX management activity, but they haven't actually figured out 
if it's doing what they think it's doing. Um, one example I, I, I sometimes use, Sam, is from your neck of the CX woods, is about culture and you know the activity that involves uh, reinforcing customer-centric behaviors with rituals and rewards and celebrations that are aligned to CX metrics. Some companies may do that. Of course, we know um, not a majority do that, but, but even those that do that, it's a much smaller percentage of those that actually have taken the time to figure out if they're actually reinforcing the behaviors they think they're reinforcing. <laughs> Right. If, right. If they're performing the activity with rigor, that's really what I look to here. Um, and it is less than a majority. In fact, it's 46% say that they perform that activity with rigor. And so that's one of the things I really look to as a key indicator of whether or not we're going to see CX improving is if I see the rigor in CX management really taking a year-over-year systematic uh, improvement. I think it's a really well-made point that it's doing it in a way with rigor, as you said, but the, the detail that really jumped out at me there was the rigor is knowing that this way of doing it works. It sounds obvious, but that's actually a high bar because you have to have gone back and looked at the results and looked at the outcomes to know, as you said, I, I think the um, you know reinforcing behaviors is, is a great example, right? Are, are we rewarding and reinforcing in things that are leading to better outcomes? leading to more consistent application of those behaviors, more consistent, you know, confidence in employees that they're able to do the right things. And if not, then all the, you know, repetition or ceremony around these rewards and recognition uh, doesn't really matter. It's kind of wasted effort. Rick, the second thing I wanted you to talk about that sort of came up as a big research insight from last year is a reluctance by companies to switch vendors of their customer feedback management platforms. How do we know that they're reluctant to switch and how does that sort of hinder CX efforts. Sure. This, I think, was an amazing finding by our colleague, Faith Adam, who focuses on customer feedback management or, or, or CFM vendors. And she did, of course, did a really awesome wave and a couple of follow-up reports on other things that she found from her wave research. And so this is where this comes from. And one of the things that she heard and that I've taken and packaged up here as, as part of this, you know, top 2018 research findings report. So this is all her, right? I'm just, I'm just encapsulating. She talked with, as you can imagine, a lot of buyers of CFM systems. And what they were telling her is that the main you know, reason why they stick with their current CFM vendor, even when it's clearly inadequate, it's not doing the job they needed to do, they stick with it because for a couple of reasons. One, it's too difficult to make any new platform operational and productive. These buyers are, are saying that there's no CFM vendor out there that makes it easy to get their thing up and running. Plus, the buyers look back on any number of ways in which they have already been burned by the rocky implementation of their current system, right? And confusion, which is like a polite word um, over software features, you know, that may or may not actually exist, et cetera. And, you know, they just decide, I'm going to stick with the devil I know. That's not a good situation to be in, right? I mean, you know, it's certainly not a good situation if you're a CFM vendor who's trying to get people to switch to you, you know, if they're just worried about, you know, how bad the implementation is going to be. And it's also not good if they're already your customer, because, if the only reason they're sitting with you is because they're still so traumatized by the last time, that's not customer loyalty. Is right, it? right. It's a version of trap loyalty, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Gosh, that is kind of discouraging. CFM vendors, if you're out there, if you're our listeners, this is the market opportunity. Make switching costs easier. Make it less painful. And mm-hmm. I think you will have a whole slew of new customers coming your way in 2019. Um, okay, good. We solved that one. CFM vendors just fixed the onboarding process. And final one that we wanted to talk about was maybe complicates the, uh, the storyline here a little bit that don't just try to make experiences easier. Uh, well, wait, what do you mean? That's that's one of the three <laughs> E's. That's what we talk about all the time. I want everything yeah. in my life to be easier. Um, so what happened? What, what, uh, what you know, do you, you fall on something, Rick? What happened here? Why, why, are, we, why are we saying this, <laughs> this counterintuitive advice? Well, because I 
read your report, Sam. Uh-huh. Uh, I read the report that, that you and Ryan Hart wrote um, on um, insights from uh, behavioral science uh, for um, for CX pros, which which had all kinds of cool stuff in it. And I think one of the most interesting, most impactful finding in there, at least for me, was this idea of making experiences easier can backfire because the finding was that making customers work harder, sometimes not always, but in certain ways at certain key times can improve the quality of the experience because of something called the endowment effect. Simply put, means that people place more value on things they feel like they've helped create, like they've had to work hard for. And as you point out in the report, this is one reason for IKEA's success. People feel great after they've put the furniture together. That's an accomplishment. Even when companies make it clear that they're working hard on behalf of customers can also create an endowment effect as well. Of course, the poster child for this is TurboTax, which includes in its software lots of great little cues to sort of remind you that um, you know TurboTax is, is working hard, even when, frankly, it's just making you you know stare at a progress bar. The other thing I would add to what you said, you know, the endowment effect is real, and and so you know actually making people do a little work or you know it, it's kind of a, the sense of if you you wait in line and pick your favorite restaurant's favorite. Uh, longest line that it better be good because why else did you wait in line? So there's also the sort of like the rationalization effect that a customer will go to. If, I, if it took a little effort, it must be good. So the experience must have been worth it because I'm a rational person and I wouldn't stand in line if it wasn't the best barbecue in the world. And it's more memorable if I have to wait for something, if I have to, you know, consider what I'm about to get. I, I get the time to anticipate it because it's not that easy. There might be a little wait or it might be a little effort to get it. That too makes it more memorable, makes it something where I um, I was anticipating how I would feel, then I got it and it was a good barbecue sandwich. So it confirmed what I was expecting, which makes me feel good about myself because I predicted accurately. So there's a lot of behavioral science there that in addition to the endowment effect that means in many instances, easier isn't an experience that the consumer is going to remember as well or remember as positively, even if, you know, objectively speaking, it was low more efforts, you know, more seamless experience. This also speaks to one of the big themes, you know, that so much of our research hits on, which is the key value of emotion, right, and the quality of the experience. You know, sure, you know, ease is a thing, sure, effectiveness is a thing, but, you know, it's that third E, emotion, that really makes for a great experience. Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, I think one other that that isn't necessarily counterintuitive, but that I think is is really important for this theme that we were talking about earlier about a systematic approach to CX um, at the enterprise level. Ryan Hart put out a great report last year called CX Strategy Essentials. The real key finding here is he really figured out what are the exact components of a successful CX strategy, which I think is so great because strategy is one of these words just gets thrown around a lot, you know, and people mean different things by it. Maybe they're not quite exactly sure what they mean by it, but he really nailed it down. You know, these six things, and he lays them out, and he describes them, he gives examples of them. And so I think it's a really key finding that so many people are going to find really useful and should really dig into because you don't even know where to focus your CX management until you have a strategy. You know, you don't even know what your goals are until you have a CX strategy. And, you know, we see people dive into, you know, companies dive into CX all the time and just sort of say, go, go make things better without even trying to define what better means. You know, if you don't have a good strategy, you don't even know where you're headed. And so I think it's super important, these six components of a successful CX strategy. I think that's a really good one, too. I'm glad you called that out. I, I feel like CX strategy or CX vision, people are like, yeah, okay, okay, we get it. We've heard it. But 
I agree with you that the lack of clarity around what do we actually need to work on? You know, which areas should be prioritized in our customer experience? Who is this for? And where do we have gaps? Like, where are we falling down? You know, and he's got some of these elements in there. How will we know when we've gotten there? We want some milestones that tell us if we're moving meaningfully in this direction. And without that clarity, it's really hard to know, A, what things to do, and B, if the things you are doing are working. And I'm glad you called it out. I think you're right. That's a really important one. Rick, thank you, as always, for joining us on CXCast. Uh, Listeners, we will post links to Rick's report and blog post. And uh, Rick's report is a great landing page for links to some of this other research. So if you're interested in diving into CX strategy, for example, Rick points you in Ryan's direction within that report. So it's a good jumping off point for exploring some of these topics in more detail. Listeners, do not worry. Jenny will be back next week. Uh, We will have a co-host again, and we look forward to talking to you all on next week's CX cast. Bye for now. Thanks to our colleagues, Amanda Chen for recording and mixing the episode and Will Wilsey for editing and publishing. And listeners, if you have questions, feedback, comments, or suggestions for new episodes, please email us at cxcast at forster.com. And remember, your customers' perceptions are your customer experience reality.